So tonight, we are going to continue to, um, to look at, uh, you know, why we do dress the way we dress, and is it, is, is it something that we find in the Bible, or did we just make it up? Well, we didn't make it up. Um, so, historically, um, when you look at the Bible, men and women have both worn robes um, for a large part of human history, all right? However, the most important gender distinction was not simply in what they wore, but in how they wore it. There were male and female ways of utilizing their clothing. And we are specifically addressing gender distinction tonight. Um, when you look back, when God created the world, and you look at those scriptures in Genesis, he created, what did he, think about the things that he created. He created, uh, he created the land and the sea, right? Opposites, not the same, but he created the land and the sea. He created the firmament, he cre or he created the heaven, and he created the earth. We're talking about opposites. He created, there was light, and then there was dark opposites. And he created male and female. So there were specific uh, distinctions in what God created. And they were created differently. And this is why distinction is, you know, this is another reason why distinction is so important when we apply it to the way that we dress, because we were not made the same. We were made differently. And that's just the way God did it. So um, that's just a little extra bonus there. But so there were male and female ways of utilizing their clothing. Firstly, all right, the priests wore breeches, the Bible says, under their robes in Bible times. This word does not occur very often in scripture, but in every case, it is men's apparel. Exodus chapter 28, verse 42, Exodus 39, 28, Leviticus 6, 10, Leviticus 16, 4, Ezekiel 44 and 18. These are all scripture references that mention breaches. Women, if you look at all at Jewish history, never were allowed to wear breaches. That was never a part of their, their, their uh, apparel. According to Hebrew lexicons, breaches means literally trousers that extend below the knee. The later English word for this is britches, right? Britches developed from this term and now uh, more, this is where we get our modern concept of pants. Women in Bible times did not wear crotched or bifurcated garments or pants, if you want to call them. They did not because of God's disapproval. Thus, pants were worn exclusively for men for the first 5,900 years of human history. Only in our century, as we mentioned last week, has women's apparel suddenly become impractical for women to wear. Secondly, men in Bible times were permitted to do what is called gird up their loins. Have you ever heard that, ter that term mentioned in scripture? They were men were, were uh, told to gird up their loins. Uh, an example, there's many scripture references, but one example is Job 38 and 3, 
And I don't know, did they give any of this to my media personnel back there? Oh, I'm so sorry, y'all. That's my fault. <laughs> See, I count on my husband to help me with these, to do these things. But Job 38 and 3, I don't know, how, 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 how uh, long does it take to pull up a scripture? Job 38 and 3. Um, I don't know. We, you can write them down and you can look them up yourself if, you, if, you, uh, if we are not able to get to them quickly. But here's an example. Gird up now thy loins like a man. For I will demand of thee and answer thou me. God associated Job's acceptance of manly responsibility with the state of his apparel. Okay. So what exactly does it mean to gird up your loins? Because this is an important concept for us to understand because it's always associated with men. And we're talking tonight, remember, about the difference in apparel and if they all wore robes, how, can, how do we make a distinction there? So to gird up your loins literally means to take the back hem of the male's robe and pull it up between his legs and bind it into his girdle, which is actually belt back in that time. Okay? So there you have, if you can you did I just create a visual for you? I hope I did. So it was it was a pants look. It looked like a loose fitting trouser. Okay. This was not acceptable for women. This was specifically in regards to men who did this. The priests did it. This was their breeches or breeches. The uh, men going to war did this in order to uh, be able to run, you know, freely and whatnot. Um, and so this is a, this is a type of uh, apparel that the men were able to wear, but the women were not. So, so this is another distinction that is important for us to make. Um, and... When we, like I said, God, God associated Job's acceptance of manly responsibility with the state of his apparel, but that is perhaps not so remarkable when we consider the modern association of responsibility with the question of who wears the pants in the family. You heard that one? Well, it shouldn't be us ladies, figuratively or uh, realistically, okay? We're, we're not the ones to wear the pants in the family. Any garment that shows a separation of the legs above the knee is immodest apparel for a godly woman. God does not approve of it. And we have scripture that backs that up. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. I think it's important to examine the scripture a little bit more closely. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. Okay. Specifically looking at this word abomination. Because a lot, I'm, what I'm planning to do here tonight is to try to just jump ahead of what some of the arguments that people come back at you with. They're going to say, well, but this is the Old Testament. And if you're going to follow that law, then you would have to say that you can't wear, um, you know, uh, linen because it's a combination of fabrics or there's other things that that they were commanded not to do but we don't follow those things today 
So we're going to understand why there is a difference in this one that we follow and not all of those other laws from the Old Testament that we follow. Um, that word abomination is the definition of that is something that is disgusting, filthy, abhorrent, loathsome, and hateful to God. Those are some pretty strong words. It doesn't really get much stronger <laughs> when you think about it. And there's a few other things. There are only a few other things in scripture that the Lord says are abomination to him. I'm going to tell you what those, some of what those things are. Prostitution, homosexuality, idolatry, involvement in the occult, someone who cheats someone else, a liar, a heart that plans to do evil, perversion, a murderer, a proud person, someone that cre creates division among the brethren, someone that excuses and excuses sin and condemns righteousness. These are things that the, that the word of God says are an abomination to God. The, there are many more sins. We know there are more sins in the Bible. But these things that I just mentioned are especially filthy to God because they're labeled as abomination. Right in the middle of this list of things that are abomination uh, unto God is this business of wearing the apparel of the opposite sex. And this is why we take it very seriously today. This is why we still teach it today. Don't you think that we should forsake anything and everything that is considered an abomination to the Lord? Does God change? What God hated and what was abomination to him in the Old Testament, he still hates today. If you would say, well, he no longer hates that, you're saying that his character has changed. But his character has never changed. What God hated then, he still hates today. Um, there is, uh, okay, so you will notice that there are other there are a lot of other laws in Deuteronomy that we no longer adhere today. I, mixing of fabrics was one of them that I talked to you. Even uh, fringes around the hem, hems of garments. Uh, uh, putting rails around the, the top of their um, uh, roofs, their rooftops. These are just a few examples of things that were mentioned in the Old Testament as they were laws for the people then, but they, we do not. Uh, follow these things necessarily still today. So um, if they had been labeled abomination, we would still follow them today, but they were never labeled abomination. You have to understand that there are three types of laws set up in the Old Testament. There's civil laws, ceremonial laws, and moral laws, okay? Many of the civil laws set up in the Old Testament, we still do and follow today, only because they make good common sense, okay? Not necessarily because we have to, but they work and uh, because they're just good principles, so we still live by them today. You could probably think of examples um, of good ceremonial laws um, or civil laws, I'm sorry, civil laws. Uh, putting a roof 
around or putting rails around your rooftop at, for them was for safety reasons so that people didn't fall off the rooftops and kill themselves. Well, you might find that in certain situations, we still have to put rails around, around certain things if it's a danger to somebody, right? It's a good civil law, okay? Kind of self-explanatory. The ceremonial laws relate specifically to Israel's worship, okay? Like the sacrifices, which we no longer sacrifice today. Uh, sacrificing of animals, bloodshed, the specifics of how the tabernacle was to be set up. But we know that when Jesus died on the cross, these ceremonial laws, which were the old laws, were done away with. But even still, the principles of these ceremonial laws still apply to us today. But we are no longer bound by them as far as all of the specifics of them, right? We still have to repent of our sins. We, in order to be saved, we have to repent of our sins. Um, so the principle of that, of sacrifice, uh, is, is there, but it's not specifically the same. So these ceremonial laws are no longer necessary in their details and in their specifics for us to follow today. But here's the important thing to understand. God's moral laws never changed nor will they ever change. They will never change. There's two components to the moral law. There, the first is the Ten Commandments, okay? When God reached down with his own finger and wrote in stone, and there you have it. And we still follow the Ten Commandments to this day, okay? Um, you, we, we need to still follow those. The second component is anything that God calls an abomination, God is saying, I hate that. God can't change. So if he hated it in the Old Testament, he hated it in the New Testament, and he still hates it today. Once an abomination, always abomination. Okay? That's part of the reason why that scripture is so, is so um, important for us to hold on to. Uh, the, the entire Old Testament is, obviously. But um, when we understand some of these, these laws and things like that, we understand which ones are still necessary for us to follow today and which ones no longer are. Um, all right, let's move ahead here. Give me a moment. Okay, moving ahead into the New Testament. Um, the word apparel, if you look at 1 Timothy, let's pull this up, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chap chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Okay, the word apparel. I will therefore that men everywhere, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. That word apparel there, um, is... We're going to define that word apparel. Um, well, we're going to define it in a minute. 
because I'm going to jump ahead of my notes and then I'll lose my place. Um, okay, so Paul says that women's clothing needs to be four things. It needs to be modest, which means orderly. Uh, it, it, what a woman wears doesn't just affect her morals. It doesn't reflect her morals. It affects her morals and her conduct as well. Think about that. What a woman wears doesn't just reflect her morals. It also affects her morals and her conduct. If you think about how a lady uh, carries herself in a dress, in a modest dress compared to how she carries herself uh, wearing pants, I think you would agree that there is a difference in how she is able to carry herself, right? We could get real specific on that, but I think you understand where I'm going. Okay. Um, let's include here this truth as well. There's nothing godly about dressing disorderly either. Women are supposed to look beautiful and present themselves well and look classy. There's nothing wrong with that. And I do believe that our women are beautiful. Amen, they are. Their beauty is not only external, but it comes from the inside, as it should. Uh, apparel, not just one term, but two concepts. The Greek word here is katastole. I'll write that down. Katastole. Again, these are not, I'm only just putting up there as a visual for you because as we talked about before, the Bible for the large part is written in Greek and Hebrew. And sometimes we need to look at what some of these words specifically are in order to have a better understanding of what they mean. There's nothing wrong with doing that as long as you're very careful not to change the word of God, but stay true to the word of God. So katastole literally means a long flowing garment. Where did we see that before? That was, now we're in the New Testament, apparel, katastole, long flowing garment. When we looked at the word uh, in the Old Testament for the God's, for what, how God dressed Adam and Eve, the word was coat. Uh, don't ask me to remember what that word was. <laughs> I could back up and find it. I wrote it down last week. But it's, almost exactly the same thing. And I think that that also is important to look at, that you have it here, you had it way back at the very beginning, and it repeats itself in the New Testament with Paul when he talked about how the women should dress in modest apparel. Do you see the significance there? Okay, so um, it hasn't changed from the New Testament. And actually, it's also, I'd like to also mention this too. In 1 Peter, Peter says a lot of these are very same things. And you know, Peter was, was uh, he was writing these letters to the Jews. Who was Paul writing his letters to? The Greeks, the Gentiles. And so, because sometimes people are going to throw at you, well, this is not our culture. Your culture is different than ours. You're in the American Western culture or 
whatever, or I, I'm Hispanic, or you, you could go down the list. But the truth is, if you've got Peter preaching it to the Jews one certain way, they were completely different than the Gentiles. But you also have Paul preaching the same thing. So I think that that's uh, worthy of mentioning as well. Um, this wasn't just made up by man. This is what we're discovering when we, when, we, when we dig a little deeper into the word of God. We're finding out that this wasn't something that is man made up, but it is something that the word of God clearly teaches to us. So the garment of the woman needs to cover her thigh and down to her knee. It doesn't have to be down to her feet. It can be if she wants it to be, but the, here's the thing. God could have commanded that if he had wanted to because there is a word for that. And that word is used in the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 13, the word there is poderes, P-O-D-E-R-E-S. I might have said that with a Spanish accent. I, I don't know. I rolled my R. Poderes. Okay. Uh, and this would have, if he had wanted to, he could have said, you know, to wear it to our feet, but he didn't specifically say that, okay? So I, this is something else that, you know, that we can kind of clarify, well, how long? <laughs> well, it needs to be at least uh, covering our knee. Are we good? Okay. So what we're learning here is that pants, biblically, uh, for a woman, are not considered a modest garment or appropriate attire. Why? Because they show a separation and a definition of the legs above the knee. It should be mentioned and made clear here that tight garments are not considered modest either. But that's, here's the thing is wearing dresses and skirts has a twofold purpose. Modesty. So if you're going to wear it so tight, it's no longer modest. You've lost the whole point of modesty, right? We, when you talk about tunic and catastole and uh, the other one, coutine. I knew it would come to me eventually. Uh, it was not, neither one of these garments were tight-fitting. They were, they were modest. And the second component here is for gender distinction. Both of those components matter in why we dress the way we dress. Okay, They're, they matter. Decent, shamefacedness. The Greek word here is ados, meaning a sense of reverence or regard for others. It literally means that the woman is not responsible for wearing clothing that causes people to turn their eyes toward her. Because why? We've learned already that's a danger for men. This does not mean that we have to dress unattractively. It just means that we dress in a way that is not sensual. Okay. We as women of God have a responsibility to not wear clothing that is turning the attention and the mind and the thoughts of a man or anybody else for that matter toward her body. The way that we dress can provoke intimate responses that should be reserved for marriage only. Indecent exposure of the body, even amongst family members, can even destroy mutual respect. Okay, we'll get back to that perhaps. 
So I wondered if maybe tonight, and I know we've got a little bit more time here. Um, there sh we should understand that there is a variable sense of modesty, right, among people. Let me explain. For example, there is no standard of modesty between a husband and a wife, right? There is no standard of modesty there. In a marriage relationship, nakedness is okay, okay? They share that as one flesh together. In particularly, uh, and this has um, actually been a concern for some people, night clothes, pajamas, or whatever, that these things would be perfectly fine in the setting of immediate family, but not out in public. Um, and parents should be making the godly decisions about, you know, what is appropriate for their children in their home to wear. Uh, in the privacy of their own home, that's, you know, between you and your husband, and, you know, you, you can decide what is appropriate there. Um, and what your children see you wear. I think that also is worth mentioning. Um, so think about it. Is there um, exceptions? Should there be exceptions to women wearing pants? Or to them wearing dresses, I should say. Should there be exceptions? Because this is, we're just, listen, we're just, we're just, um, you know, basically having a, a one-ended open discussion <laughs> here about that. Because these are the things that, are, that get brought to us. You know, well, what about in this situation? Or, you know, what about in this situation? So let's just kind of clear that up. What about on vacation? If I'm on vacation and I'm going to go somewhere like to the beach, does it matter that, you know, that I, do I still need to be modest at the beach? Yes. You should still want to be modest at the beach. Uh, and certainly if you're going to post pictures of yourself at the beach, this is one of the things that blows me away. It's like you... Okay, you, you don't wear that to church or to your job or anywhere else, but then you go to the beach and you post pictures on social media. Well, now everybody saw you. So what, what have you accomplished? It literally makes no sense at all. More people saw you in that than if you just would have been with your family there. Now you posted it. Now everybody has seen it. So um, some of it, you know, it, it's, it is kind of commonsensical, but... Um, Another one that people talk about a lot is, you know, certain jobs that they do. Well, you know, I, I work in this type of job, and this is what they require for me to wear. Well, you do have rights as a citizen of the United States. You do not have to wear what they tell you to wear. You can wear what you feel is appropriate according to the word of God. And I'm just going to tell you, you can pretty much do any job, pretty much, unless it is like really a man's job all the way. Us ladies can do just about anything wearing a dress or a skirt. Make it flowy enough if you have to, whatever. Wear some leggings under it if you have to, whatever. There's all kinds of different ways you can do it. But there, I just don't see where there are positions where we cannot we just, like, you're, you're forced to wear pants, and so you don't have a choice. I don't see it. Um, 
If you've got some examples, you can share them with me later. But, um, you know, if we're going to stand up for what we believe in, if we're going to stand up for what we believe in, of all places at our job, why wouldn't we stand up for what we believe in there? Uh, we're coming in contact with all kinds of people that, that we're able to be an example to and, and a witness to. So maybe perhaps we're losing some great opportunities if we, you know, if we just concede that we have to dress the way that they tell us that we have to dress. Um, certain activities, people say, well, I can't ride a horse. I can't ride a bike if I'm wearing a skirt or a dress. And I'm going to tell you, yes, you can. I've done both. You can very, it's, it's not hard. It's, is it more convenient sometimes? Yes, it might be more convenient, but we're not looking for convenience. We're looking here to please God and to follow his word as closely as we can at all times, right? At all times. So, um, you know, another one, um, I'm going to get a little close maybe to home. I don't know. I have no one specific in mind when I say this. I'm just saying. If we're going to post pictures on social media in our Christmas pajamas that are pants, pajamas, we've kind of negated what we believe as far as pants and skirts and dresses are concerned. Can I have an amen? Okay. I mean, what's the difference with pants, pajamas, or other pants? They're still pants. And if you want to wear those in the privacy of your own, own home, that's totally up to you. But you know, taking pictures with a photographer and posting them out there on social media, like, I'm like, you know, it just, again, it just doesn't make much sense. More people saw you in your pants pajamas <laughs> than they would have uh, if, you know, if you just would have left it, if you just would have left it alone. Or even if you would have worn to church, even. But you put it on social media, and now 1,495 people saw you wearing it. So, Okay. All right, you get the drift. Um, I think that we may end up here stopping a little bit early because we're going to go into, um, from here, we are going to go into um, some other areas of, of why we are the way, that, the way that we are. We're still on women. And that's okay uh, because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to us ladies. Um, but... We also um, want to be very careful to answer some questions ahead of time. Some things that come up, you know, to you. I know from being in high school, from being at middle school is about the worst. Just so you know, for me, that was called junior high school. But when, when you're in like you're 12, 13 years of age, right in that age group, it's brutal. And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that gets thrown at you. And, and it was, even when I went to school, don't ask me how many years ago, and I was that age. Uh, okay, it was 40 years ago. <laughs> I'm 52, so that was easy to figure out. But, um, you know, it's good to have a good answer, not in a judgmental way. Not, not in a way that, you know, that where you are, think that you're better than everybody else, or that you've got it all figured out, or you're smarter, or you're more spiritual, or anything like that. It's nothing like that. But it is okay to have an answer for people. And so we did try to, um, you know, answer a lot of questions. I, I will say one of the other questions that does get brought up is at what age? At what age should we start, you know, having our, our girls, you know, be wearing dresses and skirts all the time? Um, 
And this is us tonight, right? This is us tonight. So I, I, I would encourage you, again, you, this is something you can talk over with your husband, ladies or whatever, men, you know, you're the spiritual, you're the priest in your home. Um, but, you know, once a girl is, is able to be taught how to, to sit like a lady uh, and to play, <laughs> you know, like a lady, um, I think that's a good time to, to really start encouraging that in her. Um, you know, before that time, you know, Pastor and I have talked about this before. It's, you know, kids are all over the place and, you know, you just, you don't want certain things being seen. And so we understand that, you know, maybe you're not going to have your, your two-year-old running around in a, in, a, in a skirt all the time, okay? But at a certain age, I think that we need to start encouraging it because then, it, then you, you do have to decide when are you going to start it? Because if you haven't had them wearing dresses or skirts and now they're approaching, you know, seventh grade or eighth grade or whatever it is, when do you start that? And I think if you start them at a very young age, they're used to it, they've, they, they're acting more like a, a young lady should act. Uh, and so, um, you know, it just, it's not a hard thing for them to do. But if you wait too long, you're going to face some resistance there, I think. Um, so it's just some guideline there on that as far as, you know, at what age do we think, you know, that that would be appropriate. That's, that's our thoughts on that, okay? Um, well, uh, this has not necessarily been um, an easy thing to teach, but I just want to share with you that today, you know, there's a lot of people that, that I love, that I care about that no longer follow this way. And like we talked when we very first brought this up, unfortunately, when you look at people that do decide to pull this part away, give it some time, and they're gonna, you're going to see that other parts have been pulled away, that other parts don't matter anymore. And, and so today, and I'm talking like, like salvation stuff. I'm talking like Jesus name baptism. I'm talking, uh, you know, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost by the evidence of speaking in tongues. I'm talking that kind of stuff, the stuff that we hold very, you know, very dear and we, there's just no wavering on it. Right. And so anyway, you know, so today, you know, I just like, Lord, I just, you know, please, I don't want to get up there. I do not want to ever get up there in that pulpit and, and try to teach anything to our people. And neither does pastor try to teach anything to you that would be uh, something that we're just doing because we've been doing it all along. Or we are just trying to be old-fashioned. And I, I'm, I'm just sharing with you my heart tonight. I really entreated the Lord for it because I just don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to be guilty of doing that. I know how difficult it was for me as a young girl. And I don't want for our young girls to just face difficulty for just because we are, have a tradition or something. That's not worth it to me. And so I was really talking to, to the Lord sincerely about it pretty weepy, actually. 
And the Lord really helped me. Because when we looked at those scriptures in Genesis about how it all started, and the, 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 the carefulness that is there, that is in scripture laid out for us between male and female and holding that distinction between our women and our men and how that can affect behavior and how that can affect um, our society and how our society has been affected by it. Blurring the lines. Blurring the lines. There's no, there's no difference between male and female. It's okay for men to be with men. It's okay. It's, you know what I'm saying? This helps us understand things that were against God's nature. And then when you include that word abomination in there, I just want you to think about it and look at these scriptures yourself. Pray about it. Can I honestly tell you, any time where if I have ever had any doubt or question about what we do or, or how, if, if holding on to these parts, to this for our, for our church, if it's still valid for today, I'm telling you every single time when I have tried, when I have gone to the Lord about it, I am telling you, he has never asked me to become less consecrated to him. He has never impressed on me that I need to let things go. He has never done that. And I promise you, anytime when you pray sincerely to the Lord, He's not going to encourage you to let things go and put things aside and cast them aside. If anything, the Lord is going to will draw you closer and ask you to do more. He's like, you can do that. Let's go further. Let's do this. Let's go further. Let's do this. So please keep that in mind, uh, ladies. And, and men, too, as we move forward in this, because I know this is not something that is popular in today's world. This is not a popular subject to teach on. This is a tough subject to teach on because we, as we've mentioned, are continue, as time goes on, we're standing out more and more and more and more and more. Not just for the way we look, but for what we literally believe in when it comes to all kinds of things in this word, all kinds of things. If you will look at some of our, uh, not our, but some of our large evangelical churches and the, and the men who pastor those churches, if you would just look them up and see what is it do they believe? What do they, what do they teach? Do, do they teach against us? Do they still believe that this and this and this is wrong? I'm not gonna get specific tonight. But I'm telling you, they do not. All they want to teach about is the positive. All they want to teach about is lifting you up and making you feel, try to make you feel good about yourself. It's not about consecration. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about those things. It's about how can, how can I make you feel better as a person so that you're happy? 
And, well, you know what? You could amass a crowd, a large crowd that way if you want to. You could get a really large church if you wanted to do it that way. I'm okay. I'm okay with keeping it narrow. I'm okay with keeping it consecrated. Amen. I'm okay with holding on to all of it and not just a part of it and thinking that I somehow could let some of it go and could hold on to the rest. No, you start pulling pieces out. It's like a house of cards. It can all start coming down. And God forbid, God forbid that that would, that that would ever happen to us. Not in this time. Amen. Not in this hour. Amen. We're too close to home. We're too close. We're too close. Why don't we all stand? Amen.